to Wake Up Call with Christina Previtt. Thank you for joining me today. My guest today is Jennifer Hillegas. She is a licensed therapist in East Brunswick, New Jersey. And today is exciting for me because Jennifer is actually going to be interviewing me today. I have to say I'm a little scared. Hmm, I'll go easy on you. Probably because you're a therapist and I'm afraid you're going to diagnose me with something. Mm, I'll try not to revert to that. (laughs) It's okay. You know, whatever. (laughs) Um, The first conversation about your show, you told me you wanted to interview people, especially women who are making their way regardless what anyone thought. And my first thought, and I'm pretty sure I blurted that out to you, was you have to be on your own show. How are we going to do this? And that's where the conversation started. So here we are. We're going to find the voice behind Wake Up Call. Everybody ready? All right. Well, I'm a therapist. So naturally, I want to start with your early life. (laughs) (laughs) My childhood Um, and how my parents screwed me up. Yes. Where and when were you born? The year is optional, of course. Um, And tell me about your family. Tell us about your family, actually. This is tough. So so my childhood was... um, how should I describe it? Well, say it wasn't easy. Usually when I tell people that, they go, how are you not a stripper? Oh, gosh. <laughs> so really which, not that easy. Which I think they mean as a compliment. <laughs> um, and I always say, well, I probably should be a stripper, but I don't have the body for it. So that didn't work out. Um, so I grew up in, I grew up a lot of places, but I was born in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Oh. At, in 1975, oh. I'm 44. I'll just admit Woo-hoo. it. Doesn't and, look a day over well, 30. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Dr. Asadi helps me out with that. <laughs> and um, I don't know. My my parents were very young. They were in their early 20s. But I think back then that was more typical. And, um, you know, I grew up for the most part in New Jersey. Um, I think where the challenges really came in were that my there's substance abuse in my family. My parents got divorced when I was two, and I really don't remember my father. So he just wasn't, he was absent. I, you know, people always ask me, well, how did that affect you? And they apologize and all that. But I didn't know him, you right. know. So there was no sadness that he wasn't there mm-hmm. because I didn't know him. But he was a heroin addict, so probably wouldn't have been the best presence anyway. And he he struggled with that most of his life. He ultimately died from AIDS that he contracted from intravenous drug use. Um, And then my mom has suffered with alcoholism. She doesn't drink now. She's been sober for probably at least 25 years. Wow, that's amazing. Congrats, it is. Mom. And she quit smoking a long time ago, too. So wow. to her credit. And um, so that that was sort of the dynamic that I grew up with. And um, I'm actually very grateful that I don't have any substance abuse issues because it, it was, you know, I, I have the gene. Absolutely. You inherited the vulnerability. That's what yes. we call it. Yes. Wow. That's impressive. Well, thank you. Um, what did you want to be when you were little, when you grew up? I don't really, I don't remember. I think there were a lot of things that I wanted to be. I know, I know lawyer was on the list somewhere at some point. I wanted to be an architect at one point. Oh. I used to love to draw houses. Draw houses, like floor and, plans? And yes, floor oh, plans. I love floor plans. <laughs> Isn't that so weird? Um, I don't know. I, I don't remember having 
any real, uh, you know, desire to be anything in particular. I just knew that I wanted to do something big. I had to be something big. You shot way higher than me. My first thing was cashier and bus driver. <laughs> That's what I wanted to be. Well, hey, awesome. someone's got to do it. So any significant life events, small or large, that changed your path? Oh. Well, I think, I think every event shapes your future, whether it's big or small. Sometimes the small things have more impact than you realize. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, growing up with sort of a chaotic childhood environment, I would say that my grandmother's influence was key, probably in shaping me, because her household was not chaotic. Not perfect. Like, nobody's household is perfect. But... There were times when we would live with my grandmother and things were more stable. So I think I got a chance to see, you know, that there's I don't want to use the word normal, but, you know, that there were there's 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 more than one way to live. That life isn't just like this chaotic like this. Tell us more about grandma. Grandma. um, Grandma worked. She's 95 now. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I know. And she worked. I think she was very proud of that. She was a working woman. She loved going to work every day. She worked 9 to 5, like clockwork, got home at 5, made dinner, very strong woman, very opinionated. (laughs) That's great. Still is today. And um, and she's an Aries, just like me. So we, we have butted heads a little bit at times. But in a loving way. <laughs> um, so did your, well, your mother and your grandmother support your dreams? Did you feel supported? I think, um, I won't say I felt unsupported. I think my grandmother just came of age in a different time when I think women weren't running off and going to law school or medical school or different professions. And I don't know, I... This is my own speculation, but I wonder if she had had opportunities to do those things. Maybe she would have. Um, I think she already broke the mold. I mean, at 95, she probably would have been expected to be the housewife at home. Um, And she was working nine to five. Yeah, she was. I definitely see that in you, you know. Thank you. Breaking the mold. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I um, I think that was definitely a strong influence on me, that she always... And my grandfather, too. Got, you know, they, they got up. They went to work. They were responsible. I, I think stable is always the word that I sort of associate with them. Well, yeah, when there's chaos, we crave stability. Absolutely. Um, how often did you live with them? Was it like a year stint and then you would move out? Like, how would, what did that look like? Well, my mother is also bipolar. Oh, boy. But she's very open about. And so you being a therapist, you understand that Mm -hmm. there's certain um, behaviors that they have. And one of them was moving all the time. Yeah. So we lived in California. We lived in Pennsylvania, Georgia. We lived upstate New York. We were constantly moving in and out of grandma's house. Um, I think because sometimes mom and grandma didn't always get along the best Mm -hmm. back then. So mom would move in, and there would be some stability for a while, and then, and then, um, you know, we she would leave because probably because she felt restrained, 
at grandma's house. So how many different schools did you go to? That had to be hard. Let's talk about that. I think I counted 13 schools from K through 12. And that was just what I could remember. So you were the new kid. I was. At least 13 times. A lot. How was that? That wasn't easy. I think that was harder when I was a teenager. Definitely. I think that's when I started to really think like, oh, God, another school. Mm -hmm. I just... And I would always worry about, well, how am I going to, I'm not going to know my way around. But I, that was always the thing that was on my mind. It's like, I'm not going to know where my classes are. And and I guess the friend, I don't, rem- that friend thing must have been on my mind. But I don't remember worrying about that as much. Oh, that's great. Because which is weird. Yeah. Do you remember any bullying, any issues with girls? I mean, we can be our biggest supporters or our worst nightmares. So. You know, there's... There's nobody in particular that really stands out. I mean, I think kids make fun of each other. You know, there's some instances that I remember where kids made fun of me. But I probably did the same thing. So Mm -hmm. do I think I was a victim of of really bad bullying? I can't really remember that. I think I did always feel different, though. Because I think I had issues at home that were... Um, you know, more important than whatever was going on at school. Did you try to avoid have people coming over? Did you try to go to their houses, things like that, kind of have this secret that you kept? I don't remember having a lot of people over the house. I don't know if I was conscious of hiding a secret, but um, I don't remember having people over a lot. How old were you when mom got sober? And usually we hit rock bottom before that. So what were this? What was the scenario? I w- we were living in Georgia. Oh wow! And um, and I guess you could say she hit rock bottom there. Mm-hmm. And I was a teenager, so I was I had just gotten to a place where I was like, you know, I am so done with this. Um, I just need some stability, and I can't deal with this anymore. And I don't actually remember all the details probably blocked some of it out likely (laughs) and somehow ended up living with grandma again in jersey oh great where did grandma live in jersey she lives in north Brunswick. oh perfect so and i don't like i said i don't remember all the details but mom ended up living there too and that's where we stayed and mom that's when mom really got sober because she had to yeah that's awesome Congrats to mom for that. Yeah, that I know. Really, that's really hard. She, she does deserve credit mm-hmm. for that. How did you cope growing up? I mean, there's sometimes we throw ourselves into anything we can find. Sometimes we escape. What was it like for you? I don't know. <laughs> I think um, I think I just always knew that it was going to be temporary. Somehow, I just always knew that life wasn't going to be like that forever. Wow, that's major intuition because it was all you knew. But I think because I'd had the experiences with grandma Mm. and other people that didn't live the way that I did, I had exposure to that. So I knew that it wasn't like that Mm -hmm. for everybody. Absolutely. So what was your first job? My first job was working at a dry cleaners. Really? Where? In North Brunswick. Oh, in North Brunswick. Okay. Yeah. Wow. What, What did you have to do? You know, help customers get their clothes put their clothes together, bag the clothes. It was a good experience. Um, you know, just working 
with the public and the owner was, I remember, I still remember things he would teach me about customer service. He was very big on customer service. And I still remember things that he would say about how to talk to customers and treat them. And um, I think he was very influential. Wow, yeah, you were truly shaped by all your experiences. I really was. How old were you when you were at that job? I don't remember if I was still in high school or if I had started college. I think I was still in high school. And I worked there throughout undergrad at Rutgers. And then even part of the time in law school I worked there. So I had been there a really long time. Tell me about college, about deciding on Rutgers, and what did you study? Well, actually, I went to Middlesex County College for two years first. Very smart. If I had to do it all over again, I think I would do that first. <laughs> yeah, and, um, I, you know, I think I don't know how in, in strongly encouraged I was to go to college. I'm not saying that my family didn't encourage me or discourage me, but I didn't I don't remember growing up in a family where it was like, you're going to college. You know, there's nothing else you're going to do. You're going Mm -hmm. to college, which I know a lot of families grew up with that, right? Uh, That that it's just understood (laughs) you're going to college. Mm -hmm. I don't think I really, I don't remember growing up with that. But I knew at the time that, well, what are you going to do if you don't go to college? And so education was something that was always very important to me personally. So, and I, I don't, I never planned my path. It, I, I just, I just um, did it. I just went to college, and then I was done with Middlesex, and I went to Rutgers. How did you decide on Rutgers? Everybody wanted to go to Rutgers who didn't want to go away mm-hmm. <laughs> in New True. Jersey. Uh-huh. You know, that's where you went, and it's a good school. It is a great school. So, what did you study at first? Did you know you were going to law school, or did that come later? No, I mean, I think that. Um, I, I liked sociology. I actually thought I wanted to be a psychologist. But then, this sounds so funny now, I realized that I would probably just counsel people who wouldn't listen to me. And so somehow <laughs> I became a divorce lawyer. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> and I realized I'm basically doing the same thing. Why would you assume they wouldn't <laughs> listen to you? I don't know why I thought that. I don't know why I thought that. I we don't could know. analyze that, maybe, but I won't. <laughs> maybe, maybe because I was in therapy. I don't actually. I don't think I went to therapy for the first time until much later in life. I don't know why I thought that, but I just that's what I thought, and I and I became very interested in sociology. Fascinating stuff. And um, I, d- I didn't know what I was going to do with that. I just knew I liked it. And I think when you get a liberal arts degree, it probably doesn't really matter what the degree is in. Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't. Unless you're a science major, you know, it's, it's so, just very general. So you entered Rutgers not knowing you were going to law school. No, I have to say, you know, I don't think I had the confidence to go to law school until later. Really? So you finished Rutgers with a degree in sociology. sociology. And then what, what, what happened after that? I got a job. I oh. I worked. I did a temp job for a while. I just needed work. I hated it. Doing what? I think just like secretarial work for mm-hmm. some some guy. <laughs> he was like a book publisher, I think, in oh, Princeton. Interesting, though. That sounds interesting. Yeah, and I was bored out of my mind, and I was sort of just drifting. I really I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. Where were you living then? Were you with grandma still? 
I think I had, um, I was just, you know, in New Brunswick, mm-hmm. like subleasing an apartment or something like that. Like most fuckers. Yeah, right. you know, like yes, a typical drifter college mm-hmm. student. And then I ended up working in financial aid at oh. DeVry. Oh, great. Which I'm not even sure if it's called DeVry anymore. I think it is. I think I've is seen it? the um, advertisements. And I did that for two years. And it sounds really awful, but I I just realized that's the first time in my life that I think it, it sounds terrible that I realized I was smart. And I realized that I could do so much more than what I was doing. And I was like, I'm shooting for the stars. I had a friend who was in law school. And I sat in on one of her classes. I think I actually sat in on a few. And I just sat there and I'm like, I know I'm at least as smart as these people here. This is not hard. And I, it was so weird. I went home. I started studying for the LSAT. I remember I would go to Dunkin' Donuts in Franklin Park like every day and study and practice the LSAT. And then I took the LSAT, and I did okay. I I didn't have, like, Harvard scores, but I had decent scores. And then one night, I just logged on to the Rutgers Law School website. I did an application. I did the essay, like, all right there. I Like, looking back on it, I'm like, how could I have been so casual about this? So you did a random Google search and ended up applying for law school. Is that what you're saying? I just applied to law school. I did my essay. I didn't even, I proofread it. I didn't spend hours and hours editing, I, nothing. I just put it together. I clicked send. And very soon after that, I got an invitation to go to the school. And I hadn't even applied anywhere else. Wow. And I got an acceptance letter when I went. I love this story. And I thought for sure they had made some sort of mistake. <laughs> like, wait. <laughs> Um, did you say you realized how smart you were at DeVry? Or did you realize it when you um, sat in on those um, classes and were I like... I think when I was at DeVry, I was starting to realize that I was smart. Because there were things that I had to do there that um, not everybody could do. Um, and I was good at it. And it came easy to me. And I, I was getting bored. I was bored. I was not stimulated at all. Were academics in general easy for you? Like in high school, when you were younger, it just wasn't something you had to work hard at? I didn't have to work hard. But I also didn't work hard to get A's. I, I did. I, I worked and I got B's. And that was enough for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, looking back, I wish if I had worked a little harder, I could have gotten A's. But... I, Everything seems to have worked out. They okay. wouldn't have mattered. <laughs> yeah, I just, but I, I, I see that pattern is you know mm-hmm. just working enough to get the B when you could work a little harder and get the A. Maybe, but were you busy socially? Were you having fun? Were you no, no, that's not having fun with academics. You mean no, like outside of it? Because sometimes no, you know, I, my childhood was stressful. Mm-hmm. I don't remember having. I mean, I know that I don't, and I don't want this to come across like oh, my family is this terrible family, but. You know, it wasn't easy. We're Moving. talking about the experience, really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it wasn't easy. I, there were good times. I have good memories. But it wasn't easy. Is there anyone you keep in touch with, with in any of those states now? I can't think of anybody. I'm, we're very different. The pe- I find that some of the people that I knew back in those days, we just don't have anything in common. Because mm-hmm. I was poor. And... Unfortunately, a lot of the people that I 
grew up with and lived with in those environments, they didn't do much with their lives. They didn't go to school. You know, they still have the same problems. Mm-hmm. And your they still live apartment. in poverty. Yeah. What about romantic relationships, you know, in your teen years or early college maybe? I was a late bloomer. That was actually one of my questions. Were you an early bloomer or a late bloomer? I think that when you have big adult problems when you're a child, that you don't have the normal child experience. Honestly, that's basically Maslow's hierarchy. You were just surviving. Yeah, I really, I felt like I was. Mm -hmm. So things like playing sports and having, you know, girls come over for a slumber party and having a boyfriend was the furthest thing from my mind. Did you have siblings? I have a brother. Oh, what's the age difference? He is 10 months older. Oh, my gosh. You yes. know the first thing I always think about is that? It's like, are you even allowed to have sex yet? Well, interesting story. I don't think my mom will mind me sharing oh, this. Oh, sorry, mom. Um, she told me that the doctor told her not to have sex. Yeah, that's a rule. And she said... That my dad kept bothering her, and she's like, I did it one time. One time. Hear that? If you're a teenager, one time. Is everybody <laughs> listening? And then went to the doctor. She said the first thing out of his mouth was, well, I see you didn't wait. Oh, my gosh. And she was like, I about had a heart attack. <laughs> and um, I, But I always say, see, I was meant to be here. I was meant to be here mm-hmm. that one time. Oh, he's the older one. Yes. Oh wow! I just yeah. assumed. You, I just assumed yeah, you were older. Second. That's interesting. Yeah. The surprise. So I mean, I noticed that you haven't mentioned him yet. Um, was he? Tell me about your experience with a brother that close in age growing up. People thought we were twins because we look so much alike. Um, but you know, he had some ch- other challenges. He got the gene. He did. Yeah. Well, you both did. His just activated, huh? I guess. I don't know how all that works. Oh, that's a whole other podcast. Um, I know, right? We should talk because that's fascinating to me. Because I do wonder how do some people, does it skip a generation? You know, no. how do some people get that and others don't? There are lots of theories. Um, I'll explain he, it later. Okay, good. Um, but he's he struggled with drugs yeah. a good part of his life. He's. I'm happy to say he's clean now. He's married to a wonderful lady. And and he's happy, and I'm really happy for him. That's amazing. Because the brother too. Wow. Yeah. So. So. So, like I said, I'm supposed to be a stripper. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me, when did you actually bloom? Tell me about romantic relationships oh, in your life. Um, you know, I think those were not so important to me. I'm not quite sure why. Maybe because my mother really didn't have a lot of relationships when I was growing up. So I did always see, I never grew up with that fantasy that I was going to have the big white wedding and, and all of that. So I think it's not something that that I focused on a lot. I focused more on becoming educated and having a career and I don't know, those other things sort of fell to the side. And so as a result of that, sometimes I think I, that's why I ended up never getting married because it just wasn't in the forefront for me. It also wasn't modeled for you either. It wasn't, so, yeah. Did wasn't. mom ever remarry? No. No. And she says that she's not interested. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, um, but I have a wonderful guy now. We've been together 10 years. Wow. And we're not married, and that's okay. 
So um, tell me about that because you're a boss, right, at work. So how is that being a romantic partner, which we assume is equal, at home? Or are you still the boss? I mean, you could just be honest. No, I'm not the boss. You know, I don't want to be the boss at home. Mm -hmm. I don't. In in fact, quite the opposite. Um, Well, not that I want to be bossed. I I really feel that we're equals. I, I really do. And I think when... I think you're not always equals at every single moment. You know, there are times when there's a decision that has to be made that maybe he has a little more leverage or a little more say for whatever reason or vice versa. And there's and it kind of ebbs and flows like that. But I do feel that we always compromise. Both of us always compromise. I always feel loved, always feel respected. And and I think he agrees. He feels the same way. So I don't, I don't necessarily feel like anybody's bossing the other one around. Is that a hard transition? Because you are the boss at work. No, I like it. I like not having to tell people what to do. I don't. Re- I think in my life I have always had um, the role of caretaker sort of imposed on me, not oh. because I wanted it, yeah, no, but because sense. I was the only capable one, right? Like by default, you know. Um, and I and I don't like it. You know, I think I resent it sometimes um, because I don't want that responsibility. Sometimes you just want to be the one that's cared for. Not babied, but absolutely, you know, just feel like there's somebody else taking care of things. And I definitely feel that way with my boyfriend now that he's he's capable. Well, he's a police officer. So there's <laughs> there's there's probably a lot. We could do a lot there. <laughs> That's with a that. whole other podcast as well. <laughs> but yes, um, very, he's very capable. And I like that about him. How did you two meet? Tell me about him. We I mean, were, he's the he's the one that got you. I mean, you didn't really have these relationships. So there's something special about yeah. him. We were set up by mutual friends. Oh, I love that. Which story. I always hear. That's tell the me. best way. That's the best way to meet somebody. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's how it happened. Great. So how long have you guys lived together? Maybe seven years. Awesome. That sounds amazing. And when you, and not everybody can see it, but when you talk about him, you have this great Aww. smile on your face. So Aww, tell us great. his name, at least. So go ahead. Russ. All right. Well, shout out, right? Shout out to shout Russ. Shout out to Russ. <laughs> He's very private. So you co-own New Jersey Divorce Solutions. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So tell us about your co-owner. Hmm. John. John will probably listen to this, so I have to be nice. Just kidding, John. (laughs) Hi, John. Um, (laughs) John, um, you know, John's a very good friend. Very, he's an excellent friend. That's how we, obviously, we started our business. We were friends first. How did you meet? We had a case together. He's obviously a divorce lawyer. Mm -hmm. And we had a case together. How do you have a case together? Just for people who don't know, how do you have a case together as a law- as a okay. divorce lawyer? So he represented the husband and I represented <laughs> the wife. Oh, so by that you mean you were enemies? Well, I prefer <laughs> not to say that because I'm trying to I'm trying to teach people that divorce doesn't have to be so adversarial like that. Um, but yeah, and it, it was um, it was just your ordinary garden variety divorce but it was um funny because the, we call it the crock pot case <laughs> because the people were fighting over a crock pot i mean they oh were fighting over a lot of gosh. other things but one of the things they were fighting over was a crock pot oh my gosh was this like the 
best crock pot no. ever? No. Oh, we're but just you fighting. know, it's like you mm-hmm. know, it's not always, it's not about the crock pot. No, right? it's not, right? That's there's therapy right there. It's yes. never about the crock pot. No, right? <laughs> what is that saying? Sometimes a cigar is a cigar. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not. And um yeah, so we had that case together and we just really hit it off and and um the rest is history. It is history, but I wanna know about it. <laughs> I wanna know how you two become two people that are working on a case to building basically an empire of, you know, divorce law, divorce, you know, services that have actually really evolved, I think, as the years have gone on and sort of changed the way we look at divorce. And I, that just fascinates me. And I love that. So Thank you. that's more. what we're trying to do. I know it is. I know. We've had I many conversations. Know. I mean, probably if we broke it down, um, probably just have a lot of the same core values. I mean, he grew up gay in Texas, um, and I actually interviewed him for my podcast. Oh, great! And he talked about that experience and um, and acknowledged that he probably, on some subconscious level, left Texas so that he could be more authentic. And I think maybe in some way we both have felt that we, at some point in our lives, we weren't being authentic. You know, maybe that's the common thread. That makes so much sense. Because we talk about that a lot and, you know, having lives that that we really want. I mean, that's, that's I think, the big focus at our firm is there are a lot of people out there that aren't living the lives that they want for whatever reason and doing things that they don't really want to do, but because they feel like it's expected of them or, you know, it's being imposed on them. And it's exhausting. It's really exhausting and draining to live your life that way. And I think we've both done that in some fashion in the past. And we just feel like there's more. For you, when do you think you realized that that was happening and you wanted to change it? Hmm. <clears throat> well, I mean, I think, I think when I was able to be more in control of my own life when I when I became an adult and I didn't have to deal with other people's problems we'll just put it that way mm-hmm. um, and I could really focus more on myself and what I wanted and having the kind of life that I wanted um, and I think that's probably when it started but you evolve because I was only 20 then Wow. and you know, you don't just wake up one day and say, well, I'm going to be different and I'm going to leave all that negative energy behind. You can work on that and be mindful of it every day, but it takes time. You know, you don't just snap your fingers and will it away. Mm-hmm. You it's, really have to work on it. And absolutely. You, you have to pay attention to where, you know, that drama is showing up in your life. And it probably does still show up in my life at times, but, you know, we're always a work in progress. So after law school, it sounds like you did get a job being a divorce lawyer, um, and then you met John. So tell me how you two decided to go into business together and start this amazing law firm. Well, I was working for someone, and I just was was not really that happy with it anymore. It just, you know, there was something not fulfilling about it. And then I moved in with Russ, and he was an hour away from the firm that I worked oh. at. And I just knew there was no way I was driving an hour every day. 
you know, one way. And I remember I had asked my boss at the time. <laughs> she who used I, air quotes, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> who, who I liked very much. Um, and I wanted to make that that situation work. But he really wasn't receptive mm. to, you know, letting me work from home some days. And I just realized that this is just always how this is going to be. And I really started to be uncomfortable with not having any control at all. Not that Mm -hmm. I'm a control freak, but I became very uncomfortable with, you know, not being able to have any control over my daily life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that actually, I see that a lot with clients who grew up in chaos. They crave the control in their later lives and do anything they can to keep things predictable because it wasn't. Yeah, well, I can mm-hmm. I can definitely see that. Yeah, so you took control. What'd that look like? I think it, I had a problem with him dictating what I had to do. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, don't yeah. I, I? I felt like don't I get a say? Like I, you're, I'm not your property, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think he never thought that I would ever leave. Well, that's probably why you behave that way. Yes, it's I think power, that's exactly right? why. Mm-hmm. Um. So I started doing the math. I started doing what a lot of young attorneys do when they're working for a firm. They start figuring out, well, how much do I bill every month? And, you know, you you know, it's a simple arithmetic exercise. Mm-hmm. And you figure out how much are they making and how much are they paying me? And you see the difference, you know, <laughs> and you just realize, well, I... If I just go out on my own and I get even five clients, I would be making as much as you're paying me. So that's what I did. I did the math and I just decided this is, you know, it's time. There's another uh, another chapter for me. It's, I'm wow. ready to start a new chapter. And that's what happened. And then I was solo for about a year and a half. And I've talked about this many times on my podcast. You know, there is a difference between being a lawyer and being a business owner. Oh, my gosh. Same with being a therapist and a business owner. (laughs) Yeah. So you can appreciate that, too, as any business owner can. And I don't, you know, I wasn't loving practicing law anymore at that point. It just, it was just not fulfilling. I I think it was getting bored. It was like the same thing over and over. What year are we in right now? Just so we can kind of keep the timeline. Well, that was 2013. Okay. All right. So 2013, you hung your own tile out, right? Yeah. Started to be the entrepreneur that you developed into. And you just, and what did you discover being on your own? Was it truly just you? It was just me. I didn't Mm -hmm. even have a secretary. Nobody. And, and I find that that was hard, too, for me, just going from all these people around to just me sitting in that office. And I'm like, well, I can't talk to anybody. There's no water cooler to kill time. right? Well, you know, at first it was very liberating and I was mm-hmm. happy. And um, and the money situation was better. I didn't have to work nearly as hard to make the same amount of money or more. So it worked right away. It did. It That's did. That's amazing. That's testament to you. And so... I think at some point, though, I just started realizing, like, well, this isn't really satisfying either. And I went I went through a long period where I was, you know, I probably still am doing it, trying to find myself and mm-hmm. figure out, well, where's my place now? Um, because I think we all evolve. And, I, you know, there are people that can have the same job for 35 years and be happy with that and collect their pension and retire I think that this day and age, there's a lot less of that. Yeah, I think I read something like the average person changes jobs seven to eight times, and that could be, that might be an old um, statistic, but yeah. 
yeah, I mean, that sounds about right because I think that, you know, if you if you really want to be stimulated, you can't just do the exact same thing, you know, for years and years and years. With To me, that's just death. But how boring. So let's be honest. How big of a law firm did you build with John? Well, what do you mean? How many employees do we have? Yeah. What, like There's 10... I always, everybody asked me this, and you'd think I'd be able to just spit out the number. Well, there's John and I, mm-hmm. um, and then I think we have about eight employees. Wow. So, you know, there's people come and go. But. So, I mean, just to put that in perspective, right? In 2013, you were all by yourself. It is only 2019. Well, it's going to be 2020, but it is only 2019. So in six years, and I want everybody to really listen to this, in six years, she partnered with John and built a law firm where she is the boss and has employees under her and a very successful career where you can work from home anytime you want, right? That's true. When you put it that way, it's, it's impressive. It does I don't sound think nice. This is, this is why I wanted you to be interviewed for your own podcast. I mean, the people that you seek to interview are you. Thank you. Absolutely. Oh, I've always spend... been impressed. You're good. You. <laughs> you. You're, you're good. good. You. <laughs> That's actually from Analyze <laughs> This, right? Which is a movie about a therapist. <laughs> you should just start doing therapy on the air like this. Oh, people. my gosh. There's all kinds of HIPAA laws about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. Well. Aren't I? No, Sign releases. <laughs> yeah. Sign releases. Yeah, you could draw those up for me, right? <laughs> yeah. So what, and a partnership is born. <laughs> what kind of boss are you? Let's talk about that. Oh, I mean, you were you were a business owner, but you weren't really a boss unless of yourself. So what kind of boss are you and how do you and John kind of tag team that? Oh, boy. Um, I'm it probably if you ask a lot of my employees, they would say I'm a big old B. I can't say the we're word. not allowed to say that. There, <laughs> there's a big thing on the top of my paper B that stands, says no cursing. B stands for boss. Boss, babe. <laughs> Um, yeah, you and I were talking about this before the show, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know. You know, I think John and I oftentimes are good cop, bad cop. I was wondering You know, that. he's the nice guy, and this is my perception, and I think there is truth to it, but I might be exaggerating it a bit, um, <laughs> you know, because in my mind, he's always the nice one. Everybody loves him, you know, but, but, but I'm not. I'm the mean one. Um, You know, I'm always being mean to everybody. And I think when we first started out and I had zero management experience, Mm -hmm. that probably was true. But in the six years that I've had a business, we've done so much coaching, business coaching. I've read so many management books and and read articles and listened to podcasts and, you know, gotten all kinds of influences about really how to manage people. Any favorites of those that you'd like oh, to shout out? Oh, my gosh. There's so many. I mean, um, I, they're, the books aren't immediately coming to mind. I read Harvard Business Review oh, all the yeah. time. Lots of information um, there. And I'm part of a coaching group called How to Manage a Small Law Firm. Oh, wow. And I listen to David Nagel. So some of it is not necessarily like this is how you manage, but a lot of it is dealing with mindset. So, you know, you just mentioned control. You know, Mm -hmm. a big problem that a lot of business owners have is not relinquishing control of certain things to employees because Mm -hmm. you can't do everything. Yeah, you have to delegate, right? That's right. You cannot do it. So if you are one of those people who cannot relinquish control, 
you're going to stunt your own growth because you can only get so big doing everything yourself. So that's just an example of mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I think I suffered from that a little bit a long time ago, not anymore. Great. But I think my challenge is now is always communicating with people and doing it in a way that um, is direct because that's just who I am and that's mm-hmm. just how I communicate. But tr- making sure that I'm not, um, you know, maybe being overly critical, right? Oh. At least that's how I understand that people perceive it sometimes. Okay. Do you think that you were kind of forced into that role or is that natural for you? Because I sensed a little bit of a, you know, he's the nice guy, so I kind of had to take this role. And I don't know if that was something that you consciously were aware of and didn't like or that you jumped right in. Um, being the bad cop? Yes. I think it was just natural. <laughs> but compared to him, it's like when you have two parents and one's just, you know, a giver and is permissive and the other one isn't, mm-hmm. people are naturally going to gravitate towards the permissive parent. Absolutely. And I think that somehow that has developed. Did you ever have hurt feelings over that? Did you ever feel like you weren't connecting? Was that yes. ever Yes, I can imagine that being I issue. felt like I wasn't getting the respect. Oh. Who used to say that Rodney Dangerfield? Oh yeah, <laughs> he's an old I guy. Is he even him. around anymore? Actually, no, I don't think so. I get no respect. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that was probably like my own issues. Like you know, probably something mm-hmm. I needed to talk about in therapy. A little bit of it was real, but it wasn't totally a hundred percent real. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's the mindset stuff. I think you have to work on. Um, so I perceived it as a lack of respect, but I don't think that's really what it was or is, you know, when it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and John also, I hope, hope I'm not outing him to use that the pun. Um, you know, that's something he works on, too, is because he recognizes that sometimes he can sugarcoat things a little too much mm-hmm. and maybe be a little too passive. And it sends that sends the wrong message. Sure. You know, then people think. You know, I can do whatever I want. And there's never going to be a consequence. Um, so what we have found works for us is w- having clear responsibilities in the firm. You know, what he does and what I do. Because I think it can be sort of confusing to have, you know, two parents there who are running everything. You know, mm-hmm. they need to know, well, you know, Christine is in charge of this and John's in charge of that. And that's who I have to deal with when this problem arises or when this question arises. Oh, so clear boundaries. That's really what boundaries. Yes. yes. <laughs> of course, the therapist recognizes that <laughs> boundaries. That's great. So how would you end up with the podcast then? Actually, well, before you answer that, I do yeah. want to know what's your relationship like with the law right now? I mean, do you have the lawyers and are you overseeing it? Are you still on cases? I kind of want to know how that evolved for you because you had said that you weren't really sure that the law, at least years ago, was your thing. Well, I don't actively practice law anymore. Okay. I'm involved in the business of the firm. Yes. So I do supervise mm-hmm. how the cases are being handled because it's important to me that they be handled in a way that meets up to my standards. You know, I don't just delegate and say, here you go, and and never look at it ever Mm -hmm. again. So that might be something I need to work on a little better is not feeling like everybody has to do everything exactly the way that I would do it. 
Maybe it's just the caliber of it, right? So like if, the caliber, yeah. if your name's on it, you want to make sure the product, Absolutely. Right? I care very much about the customer service that we provide and the quality mm-hmm. of the work that we provide to our clients because it is a reflection on me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Shout out to Dry Cleaner Man. Yes. <laughs> you know what? I'm sure he had a lot to do with that. Awesome. So, okay. So how did you end up with this podcast? And equally important, where did you get those sunglasses and the cover art? (laughs) Those are Gucci. I knew they were. So Gucci. I know. I have a lot of Gucci sunglasses. I think they should sponsor me. You can only wear one at a time. I'm just saying. I know, right? But there's seven days in a week. So Um, So tell me how you So the podcast happened because I, you know, I was, like I said, I was feeling like there was some other calling in the universe for me. I didn't know what it was. I just knew that I felt restless and unsettled with what I was doing. And so um, a salesperson here, her name is Nadia. We've become good friends. She came around trying to sell advertising space. And so when I realized she worked for a radio station, I kind of latched on to that and I was like tell me more about that I forget mm-hmm. the ad space <laughs> um, and so that's how it happened I, I found out that I could record here and because I wanted a podcast but I was getting so caught up on the tech like well what equipment mm. do I buy and how do I do this and kind of perfectionist syndrome a little bit too mm-hmm. so um, David Nagel always says if you you have to be willing to you know spend money and invest in yourself you can't expect things to just drop out of the sky right like oh I want a radio show and you know Oprah's gonna call me and say offer <laughs> give me some great offer um, so that's what I did and I thought this was a good starting point to get my feet wet and see if you know this could satisfy that creative urge and I love talking to people, and I'm naturally just nosy. So it's great. You get people on here, and look, they just they tell you everything. Yeah. It's crazy. I see that, yes. actually. <laughs> it's like something about this room with these microphones. Yes. It's, it's a headset. That's what it is. It, I don't know what it is, but... <laughs> should start um, wearing them in I think it's because you don't realize that we're, we're talking into the rate, you know, microphones where it's being blasted <laughs> out of a frequency, and everyone's listening. Okay, we didn't need to remind me of that. Yeah, okay. It was really great just having this conversation <laughs> like we're at yes, lunch, right? We're, we're alone here. That's right. So were you an avid podcast listener before? I've listened to them. I mean, I don't know if I would say avid. I think it's um, certainly the future. I I don't. I asked somebody in radio if they thought radio would was was going to become extinct, and they said no, which naturally you would expect them to say. But she had some good reasons for that. I mean, you you know, they're from a news perspective. Mm-hmm. But I do think that I'm not sure that you know the talk show format is is going to last forever on radio. I guess we'll see. I'm not I'm not a visionary, but I think podcasting is growing exponentially. I mean, there's so many podcasts out there now. I really can't keep up with all of them. So just to remind everybody, you do the live show every week. And then you also do um, you also have podcasts that people can listen to on demand. Yeah. So what we do is we have technically have two radio shows Mm -hmm. that we also repurpose as a podcast. So we have one called Divorce Happy Hour for the law firm Mm -hmm. and focus on divorce related topics. And then I have my personal project, which is this show, Wake Up Call, where originally it started out as an interview format show 
and I'm just playing with it. It's just evolving. I like talking to people. It's a 55-minute show, and, um, you know, I get people that I think are interesting that have a story and and come on and get them to spill their guts. But I've changed it up a little bit. I've had a round table. Um, it's 55 minutes, and I think sometimes people don't have the attention span for that. Um, the people you're interviewing or the people listening? No, not the people I'm interviewing. Sometimes listeners. Because yeah. if you, let's say, you know, if you listen to a podcast and you're in the car, mm-hmm. maybe a half an hour, right? Yeah, is you're your right. limit. I can see that. Um, and I do it myself. I've noticed when I look up a podcast and I go, oh my God, that's like an hour and a half. I, who's, I don't have that kind of time. So I'm sort of <laughs> practicing like breaking up maybe two guests on the show, mm-hmm. but we'll see. You know, it's. I'm just having fun with it because it's not a job right now, right? It's something mm-hmm. that I do because I enjoy doing it. So sometimes when something's a job, sometimes we can look at that a little differently. Yes. So you haven't tainted it yet. <laughs> no, it's not tainted yet. But I like it. I like it very yeah, much. And you're good at it. Thank you. So so it sounds like you're in a professional transition right now. Yeah, maybe personal transition too. Ooh, so what's next? I don't know. Just playing around with this. Just doing the podcast. So, so I don't think I ever answered your question. But yes, it's a radio show. It airs live. And then you can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. So it's re-aired, I guess. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. I would love to get on television. <gasps> I'm kind of a Maybe ham. Maybe that's next. I'm a ham. You're a ham. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. A ham. Well, tell me what that means to you. Well, you know, there are some people that shy away from going on camera. Not me. <laughs> I'm like, okay, where? Where do I go? How does <laughs> I mean, my hair look lights. okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so. um, which I realized when I did some videos with John. I think um, I loved it. I gravitated towards it. I, f- I found it completely by accident. What kind and of videos? And he was like, little, made a little more nervous about it. Mm-hmm. They were just FAQ videos that we oh. post on YouTube. But I was like, this is pretty cool. I could do this. Yeah, <laughs> so funny. I think, you know, you find things just kind of by accident. Absolutely. So when I was thinking about interviewing, I thought about James Lipton from Inside the Actor Studio. Did you ever watch that show? I have. Yes. And at the end, he asks all these random questions, right? Okay. So, like a Proust questionnaire? Oh my gosh, you know what that I is. I love those. I honestly wrote all about that to tell everybody about what that was. I love Proust questionnaires. Yes. Well, then now you're prepared. I kind of want to tell you. Yeah, they're, they're, at, the, they're so. at the back end of every Vanity Fair magazine. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I knew it from um, inside the actor's studio, and then I actually traced the history of it, and it is from the Proust. Oh, so you're going to do that now? I am. Well, I picked a couple and made up a few of my own, but oh yeah, yeah I, I was inspired up. by them, right? Awesome. But a couple of these are are. Let's see how much time we have, so I can see how many I can ask, and I have to like you know prioritize them. We have okay. five minutes left. All right. So, what is your favorite word? No cursing. There's rules. Oh my god. My favorite word, Mm -hmm. money. Money. That's a great (laughs) word. I love it. All right. So then what is your least favorite word that might actually lean? (laughs) Uh, My least favorite word is fear. (laughs) Fear. Ooh. What do you fear? What are your fears? I fear being mediocre. That was an awesome answer. How do you define mediocre, though? Like, What's our working def- How do we operationally define that to measure it, right? I, for me, it's not going ahead with whatever you have the desire to, to do or be and not 
just going forward with that 200%. So like settling. Settling. And becoming yeah. stagnant. That's like, just you know, when water letting, sits, right? Yes, just letting some fear, however big or small it is, tell you not to do something. Oh, interesting. Um, what sound do you love? Sound. I like, um, I do something called ASMR. Do you know what that is? It sounds familiar. What does it stand for? Uh, auto, auto sensory meridian response. Ooh. It's this, it's kind of weird. It's this weird stuff they do on YouTube where they make certain sounds because people have like this reaction to it where they, they call hmm. it tingles Ooh, where you get like this super weird euphoria, like relaxed and I get it. So it's going to sound so bizarre. Crinkling paper. I can see that. You know, there's, there's baby toys that. When, if you feel if you grab it like my son used to have one and it sounds like crinkling paper when you play with it so there's really? something to that oh, I need Absolutely. to get one of those <laughs> oh he still has it but <laughs> he still has it he's a keeper of everything but he sleeps with it so I can't take it from him but there, there are these cute things that well, when he outgrows like... it absolutely I'll send <laughs> it mine. over I will send it over <laughs> um, who is your favorite author or poet gosh poet I don't know if I read poetry um, my favorite author um, I don't know I I don't know if I have a real favorite. I like Anne Hoffman. Is, is Anne Hoffman or Alice Hoffman? She wrote The Dove Keepers. I think it's Alice Hoffman. Mm -hmm. um, I like Anne Rice. I was really into oh, Anne Rice's yeah. books for a long time. I don't know if I'd really say I have a favorite author. I love to read biographies and even fictional biographies. What profession would you never want to do? I would never want to be a judge. A judge? Oh, my. That's like the ultimate boss, right? So how come? You know what? When I have a client who's really difficult and won't listen to me, I can just tell them, you know, I don't think we're a good fit and you should find mm -hmm. someone else. You can't do that when you're a judge. You do have a gavel, though. I mean, I feel like that helps. I just, I don't know. Too constrained for me. Mm -hmm. Interesting, because it seems like it would be the ultimate, but it's not. You're right. You don't get to pick. I don't. I don't want to boss people around. Mm -hmm. I I like working independently, but doing my piece. I don't need to boss other people around. I don't want to boss mm -hmm. people around. So we talked so much about you know work and everything that you do. So I have a different question for you to kind of end it. If you have an entire free day. Where can we find you and what are you doing? Oh, you, I'm at Barnes & Noble. What are you doing there? Just drinking coffee, picking up a whole bunch of magazines. Like what? Esquire magazine. I like men's interests, like GQ, mm. The New Yorker, New York Magazine. I I read, uh, you know, Vogue. I'll read mm -hmm. those too. But I'll just kind of leaf through them, find what I want. And uh, to me, being at Barnes & Noble, I have like, a euphoric reaction when I go there. It's it's my happy place. If I'm sad, upset, I love being around books. I've always been like that. And coffee? <laughs> yeah, coffee too. It's not mm -hmm. about the coffee though. It's about the books. So I think we'll leave everybody with, we'll leave everyone with this quote that I found. And it was actually on the um, uh, personality test that I sent you, which we'll talk oh. about a different time, right? And J.R.R. Tolkien, and I hope I'm saying that correctly because mm -hmm. there are a lot of people that love that, right? He's actually the same personality as you. Oh. And I felt like this really spoke to who you are. 
and it says, all that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. I like that. Me too. I thought you would. So, and I think especially not all those who wander are not lost. I was just going to say that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jennifer. And I hope that you enjoyed this. And we'll see you next time on Wake Up Call.